0: Hello, this is Keith Perhack again with Data Beats Opinion. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, today I have Dan McGaw joining me and he is the award-winning marketer and entrepreneur, the founder and CEO of McGaw.io, which is an analytics and marketing technic, uh, technology agency. He's also the founder of utm.io, which I, uh, I find is one of probably the best tools for people who are looking to get their marketing under control, because number one question I always get is, I have 850 UTM's. How do I manage this? Why do they all say Fbook or Facebook or FB? Or why is there no standardization? So, a tool that I think is super valuable for uh, everyone in this industry. Um, you work with tools like Shopify. You've worked with you've worked with Shopify, Unilever, Intuit. Um, I know you were head of marketing at Kissmetrics for a long time as well. Um, you've had an amazing run. So th- thanks for joining us. Absolutely, thanks for having me. So it's a lot of fun to be here and it's great to chat with you again. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we met a number of years, four or five years ago, I think.
1: Yeah, I think it was like five or six years ago is when we met, yeah.
0: Yeah, it was, it's been a while. But uh, yeah, you. we were discussing this a little bit before we got started, but you had one of the kind of my favorite company names uh, ever and then, as you kind of rebranded to um i I always miss seeing the the F and Amazing uh, emails come in every every month or so or every week or so. So,
1: I well, I appreciate that. that. We we miss the name as well. Uh, F and Amazing was a great name to have. We still own the domains. Don't get me wrong. I don't think we'll ever let that go. I can't even take the full credit for the name. Uh, my wife named the company at the time. I just liked the word amazing. She saw a show called in Science and said, why don't you call it in Amazing? And then we were off to the races. Um, but four years later, we decided we needed to grow up uh, and we yeah. changed the name to Maga.io. Yeah, we had a similar thing um, back when we were running the agency.
0: Uh, you know, we were called DelphiNet for a long time. And it worked fine when we were abroad, but when we came to the US, everyone thought we were an IT services company because it sounds very like IT techy. Yeah. So we had we had to remarket ourselves and rebrand ourselves to a marketing agency.
1: Um, yeah, because that's what people expected.
0: Naming things is yeah. hard, man. Like
1: it's uh Yeah. Oh, it's not easy at all. Yeah. It took me two years to change the name from F and Amazing to something else. So uh it definitely took a long time. Yeah. Yeah,
0: excellent. Well, thanks again for joining us, uh, or joining me, rather. And I'm looking forward to talk a little bit about uh, multi-touch attribution, because this is something that I think, especially as we get in towards Black Friday, is going to be uh, rather important. And I think a lot of people don't understand it. And if they do understand it, they don't understand it well enough. They know it's something that they need and something they need to watch out for. And that's about the, uh, the extent of what they're looking for.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And it's hard. It's, I mean, it's, it's something that's been the holy grail of marketing for years. And everybody thinks it's kind of holy water, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then when you get involved with it, sometimes you find out that it's just water. Uh, it's not very <laughs> holy anyways. So uh, it can definitely be really hard, but there, there's definitely a way to make, make it successful. There's ways that people try to use it when it shouldn't be. So it's really, really complicated stuff at the end of the day. So it's not necessarily easy to just figure out.
0: So what do you kind
1: of like at a
0: simple base level when someone's saying, oh, I really, I need to focus on multi-touch attribution. What's kind of the first hurdle that you try to cross with them? Or what's like the first like, no, no, pump the brakes. This is what you need to think about.
1: Yeah, uh, and really, really good question. With multi-touch attribution, one people don't truly understand what what it's supposed to be done or what it's supposed to be done for. Right, a lot of people want to use it for all kinds of different use cases, but the real the real fundamental thing that you have to get them past is one. If you don't have good data multi-touch attribution isn't going to matter right and that's what's most critical so even going back to talking about utm.io the reason why we built utm.io was because we wanted to just do marketing attribution let alone multi-touch attribution but if you have bad data coming in you're never going to be able to do multi-touch it's just not going to be possible because you need to be able to measure that so bad data is of course the biggest roadblock that you see But I think the the bigger problem that we see is that people kind of get lost. They can't see the trees between the woods uh, kind of situation once they get it. Multi-touch attribution should be used to optimize your ad spend, right? Like that is one of the primary things that it was built for is that within 90 days of looking at your multi-touch attribution, you can look back and say, this campaign is not successful. Shut it off, spend the money over there. So it's really supposed to be used for ad spend optimization and ad spend efficiency. So I spend $10, I get two conversions. If I can increase my efficiency by 20%, right, I spend $10, but now I'm able to get almost nearly an additional conversion on top of that, right? So um, it's not, everybody's trying to use it in all these different ways to understand the customer journey and to do this, but really the simplest way you should be using it is to optimize your ad spend and that's what it should be used for and that's interesting
0: because I don't hear that come up much when people talk about multi-touch attribution so which and let me make sure that I'm um, kind of clarifying this what you're saying is that you it's not necessarily oh people did touch these four different ads it's that the fact that they touched four ads in the first place and how can we yeah. lower that to not be four ads but to be two ads or even one ad
1: well, you can definitely optimize in that manner right but a lot of what multi-touch is great for is when we do regular marketing attribution today i have one conversion and it gets attributed equally to four different channels so facebook i'm spending google i'm spending bing i'm spending linkedin i'm spending and i'm giving a whole attribution or a whole conversion attributed to each one of those channels so your return on ad spend number is completely wrong in that case right, right? so now, if you d- distribute that, of course, you now have better return on ad spend figures. So now I have, let's say that I spent $10 to acquire a customer that uh, on each channel, right? And they, they're worth $10. Well, it means I, I lost $30 overall, but I'm tracking it incorrectly. Once you see that you have that mismatch of return on ad spend, you're able to say, oh crap, Facebook's really not working because I'm able to correctly attribute my spend also with revenue back to it. So you're no longer misplacing uh, revenue. So your ROAS numbers are able to then show you what is and what is not working effectively. And that's why multi-touch is so important is because you can actually say, well, there was $10 of revenue. I need to split that equally between these four channels. So Facebook, you get $2.50. LinkedIn, you get $2.50. But if you spent $10 to acquire that customer for $2.50 on LinkedIn, well, you know that you're upside down. So you should probably shut off one of those channels or start to look at inside of those campaigns. How can I optimize so I can shut off those bad things? And that's where multi-touch is most focused is optimizing, uh, of course, your conversions for what you're actually getting in return for revenue. Right, right. And then I think that there's a whole different
0: can of worms that we can look at, which is not just the multi-touch, but also multi-device and the views and, and things that are much more difficult for us to track because Facebook is a black box. Google ads is a black box to a degree. Mm -hmm. What do you kind of see when people are like, well, I'm getting view conversions from Facebook or they're clicking on a, on a mobile device and then they're coming in on a desktop to, to convert. How do you kind of solve something like that? How do you look at multi-touch attribution over, over devices or view styles?
1: Yeah, and there's, we call it breakage, right? There's always going to be breakage that we can't track, right? And luckily, you're still going to have that, that cost data if you're using a product, whether that be attribution app, C3 metrics, uh, whether you're using something like uh, Rockerbox, that's going to pull in your cost data into a platform and enable you to still attribute that cost to whatever conversion you have, right? So mm-hmm. luckily, that cost won't be lost completely, but you're always going to have breakage where you can't track a user. Um, and this is a lot of the problems that companies will partner with us to fix at our, at our consulting company is how do we be able to attribute more of those conversions? There are vendors such as like C3 metrics, which are able to get you the view through data. So they are able to tell you that this user viewed this thing on this channel, um, products like LiveRamp allow you to get a little bit more closer with device ID and stuff like that. So there are ways to piece it together. Um, there are ways to get closer, but you're never gonna be perfect. And that's something we always try to remind people it's the internet, like, trust me, it's not perfect. I don't know if you've seen your Facebook feed uh, with what's happened with the election. Like, we're not perfect and it never is going to be. So the best thing you can do with multi-touch is understand that it's it's more directional. It's it's definitely signal. And you have to understand that there's gonna be noise, but you need to focus on where you have the best signal. Yeah, It's interesting, you talk to marketers
0: or people who um, don't understand the technology behind the internet and they're like, oh, everything should just work and be perfect. And you talk with anyone who's ever done any networking or anything that involves like the hardware of the internet. And they're like, it is a miracle anything ever works. Like the fact that we can go to a website and see it is just a miracle. Like there are so many things that can go wrong. And that's one of the things that I always had to talk to with my clients when we were doing conversion rate optimization. They were like, why is the number in, let's say, Google Optimize, the revenue number, not matching what's in the bank? I'm like, because there's a billion things that could go wrong there. Like, It's not a one-for-one comparison. You have to use it as, like you were saying, signaling. This is the trend that's going on. This is what's generally happening. And understand that at high levels, that's all going to normalize out to a trend that you understand.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think it's important. I mean, we've done. We've been very fortunate to work on a lot of multi-touch attribution uh, models. I mean, uh, companies like Looker, which are a very popular business intelligence tool, uh, and Segment—they've—they've they've actually hired us to have us build multi-touch attribution models for their products. Uh, We've been very fortunate to be hired by some big companies to build multi-touch attribution models um, for them to be able to optimize their stuff. And then we've also had to look at all the multi-touch vendors out there. Uh, I've reviewed every single one of the vendors uh, in a research study for a client. um, And and it was fascinating. It's really, really um, eye-opening. And to be honest with you, even if you choose a multi-touch vendor, the model is still inherently flawed because it's based upon time windows. They have lookbacks. They have look forwards. They have all these things. So like you're a unique snowflake, so is their model. Um, there's a lot of things that go into it. So uh, I just, we just published a post today um, on funnel.io site about multi-touch attribution and how we recommend to do it using funnel and as well as Looker. I mean, even that it's it's, it's like, even though we built it custom, it's still not perfect. It's not meant to be. Man. And that's, I think that's uh, one of the, the biggest reasons why I feel that I've been fairly successful in my career is that like, I haven't looked for perfection in everything. I've, I've wanted to make sure that the things that we could perfect are important, but the things that like perfection doesn't matter. Um, like we have a trend, let's follow that trend. Let's run there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we get there and we're wrong, that's okay. Nobody's gonna die. Right, right. And do you, and I think you're exactly right there,
0: which is you need to understand, cause you're never gonna be perfect. You need to understand the limitations of whatever you're using, whatever model, whatever data source you're using, however you've set that up and understand where that variance can be and make decisions based on that because you're never going to get 100% accuracy at it because no. it's just not possible. It's, so then yeah, it's the internet. Yeah, exactly. So what do you see as kind of I don't know are there different situations where people want to use different attribution models like because there's of course the linear there's equal spread there's weighted there's time lapse there's there's 101 different models even within the the larger framework do you find that some work better for different situations or how do you kind of like what's your first step when someone says oh we want to we want to have better multi-touch attribution
1: yeah the 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 short answer is i always advise companies to start with a linear model to start and that just means that we're equally distributing whatever revenue across whatever channels that it came from linear is the easiest way to get started right we're all used to first touch we're all used to last touch right that's regular marketing attribution Mm -hmm. and linear is going to make that a little bit easier because you're now going to start to see that i typically advise companies to use that for the first 90 days to six months and if they really start to try to figure out whether they can be more advanced with it they can of course attack it now, even with just a linear model, you have to still look back at what is my look back window and then how am I going to adjust that? And I think that's where the complexities really start to come in. Because if you're, if you're a small company that has a really transactional product where you're doing e-commerce, right, maybe your, your, your conversion window is 15 days. But if you're somebody like myself, right, my conversion window is six months, right? Right. So you have to really start opening up those look back windows and then you have to create what's also a concept of a rolling window on how those conversions are gonna work. So the linear model just makes the basis of that much easier to start with. And then the way that we try to help companies kind of take the next step of that is if you were to try to give any type of priority to certain channels, right? So are there certain channels which you know are gonna have a greater impact more of the time than other ones um, or are there channels that you know, that we don't, we're not able to track uh, half of the time. So we may give additional credit to that one. And an easy mm-hmm. culprit of that would be something like direct mail. Direct mail is not able to be easily tracked, but if we're able to get an individual conversion from a piece of direct mail, a touch point from direct mail, right? We do know how much money we spent on somebody. So we may give more credit to those types of things if we do get a true touch point from that. Um, so there's a lot of ways that you can customize it. But I never try to advise anybody other than starting out with just, hey, do a linear based model, time decay, you can look at, but just do linear base, look at the 30 day look back window or a 60 day look back window and get used to that. And the reason why I say that is because if you get into the part where you start to make the sausage and you're also the person selling the sausage and then you're also the person judging it and doing all the things the marketer can make up whatever they want and make any story that they want out of the data. And that, that means the data is now biased. And we've seen that happen before where, and we worked with a very, very large um, automobile and um, like RV sale company. And we were building out a multi-touch attribution model with them and it was going pretty good. But the, the VP of marketing that we were working with was like, this does not match my data. And I was like, well, it's not. unfortunately, I'm trying to tell you is that the data you're looking at that you have is wrong. Um, this is what it looks like if you use multi-touch. Well, I know my data is correct. And I'm like, uh, I, I'm not trying to tell you that you're not correct. I'm just trying to tell you that your data is wrong in regards to the way you're looking at it. You're not attributing the conversions. Right. We wound up um, not moving forward with the project. I mean, it was kind of one of those things that came to the end, the project failed. That VP of marketing is no longer at that company anymore. Um, I'm no longer working with that company. So it was a sad deal. But at the end of the day it was because they didn't want to believe the math and the real numbers and they wanted to create this custom thing and that custom thing. And it was like, no, 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 like just stay linear right now. You need to shut off those campaigns because they're losing you money. So stick linear, try to keep it easy um, until you can really get advanced. Talking about that, that VP and just those
0: types of marketers in general, do you see a lot of other companies or people looking at the data and then not massaging the data, but coming up with Theories and pet theories from misguided data that doesn't match reality, like almost looking too time. far back. Yeah, you know.
1: yeah, all the time. And I think, um, and I, I don't just see that in multi-touch. I mean, I, I probably see that That's a little everywhere. less in multi-touch. I see that everywhere where people are coming up with stuff. And, um, I mean, I've been lucky to be working in the data space for a considerable time. I mean, I've been working in the analytics space for at least eight years now. Um, Before that, I've been in the MarTech space for 20 years. So like I've seen this, uh, the easiest way I summarize my career is I've just seen some shit. Um, (laughs) uh, And that would summarize the way that I see people manipulate data and make bias out of it Mm -hmm. um, compared to trying to uh, disprove themselves. And I think that's one thing that I uh, am always challenging myself is naturally as a human, we have confirmation bias. So when we see data that confirms a bias we already have. We're, we get all excited. And one of the things I had to learn a long time ago, and I, I really learned this a lot from uh, Mixpanel uh, many years ago, was how do you prove yourself wrong? And you need to change the situation to everything is about proving yourself wrong and being paranoid that you're incorrect. Mm-hmm. And then using the data to prove yourself wrong. Uh, because I've seen more than my fair share of uh, people uh, create whatever story they want out of the data because they can, not because they should. Mm-hmm. That,
0: that I think is... I think very valuable I, always to, to trust, but verify almost in, in a way it's like, yes, the data is correct, but let's try to prove ourselves wrong to see, are we getting the right information out of this? Like maybe the data is a hundred percent correct, but we have to understand like, is our assumption about what the data is telling us correct? Or are we misguided? Or are we bringing in those prejudices or those, um, those kind of ideas or those goals that we want it to say?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think instinct and gut still plays a huge weight in it, right? So uh, I do believe in the idea of like data is helpful, but you need to be data informed, not necessarily Mm -hmm. always data driven. Um, So I I think it's a tough coin to go on both sides um, because in in either case, you could be wrong, right? Whether you follow the data or not, um, in either case, you could be wrong. Yeah, exactly.
0: So when you're talking about this data analysis and stuff, especially with click data and things that like we were talking about before, Facebook is a black box. Google is kind of a black box as far as like, they don't let you see exactly who each click was, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. When you're talking about attribution that are 30, 60, 90 days later, we're talking about building essentially a data lake or a data warehouse there. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the issues that you see in creating that? Um, as people are getting started, they're like, okay, I want to be able to monitor this 90 days out. How do you see, what are some of the ways that people go about that? And what are some of the ways that people start to screw that up, I guess? Yeah,
1: yeah. No. And uh, so going back to a comment that I had talked about earlier is one of the things that um, you, you can't be perfect in everything, but there are certain things that you can definitely try to be perfect in. Uh, and for me, one of the things that we try to get really, really good at with any, any kind of project that we're working on, is really about getting the taxonomy and the data schema correct in the beginning um, and really kind of laying that out. Now, is that data going to come to us perfectly? No, it's not going to come to us perfectly. But the more proactive we can be with it and the more that we can plan around it and make sure that we have the right uh, data taxonomy to, to be able to have nomenclature around the actions, nomenclature around the properties and the context, uh, around those things, and then nomenclature around the attributes of the, the individual person, um, the more successful we can be later. And I think that's where we see a lot of companies really kind of just kind of throw shit at the wall and hope that their data taxonomy is going to work and they don't take it seriously enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they just let it go into the system. And this, in the in the modern stack, when you're using a customer data platform or artificial intelligence or anything like that, um, what people don't understand is when you have bad inputs, it's a bad output but if you have a bad input and then you throw it into automation you have 10 times worse outputs so you've essentially poisoned it it's not just bad output you've poisoned the whole engine everything about it and it just it it exasperates the issue even more it's kind of like in comparison like the, the flu sucks right but COVID is way worse because it can spread more um automation is like that it spreads the problem around more so If you get that taxonomy part correct in the beginning and you really build out a data dictionary take the time to understand what you're going to call things and if you were to go to my site maga.io and scroll to the bottom there's a resources and download section and there's like five webinars that i have that talk about how do you set up taxonomy and how do you do this and everything i know i teach for free on our site right so Um, If you get that right, that's going to make it so the data, you don't even have to throw it into a data lake, but if you throw it into an amplitude or a mixed panel or something like that, your data is going to be much, much cleaner. You'll be able to get some more insight out of it. But if you're leveraging a data lake, it's going to get it in there cleaner. If you have a good data engineer, they're going to love you because they don't have to do any kind of ETL transformations. Mm they will just be able to tie it all together. So it is really critical to get that taxonomy uh, correct. And going back to something you talked about with UTMs, it was the whole reason why we created utm.io was we saw this huge data governance issue that we were being faced with as analysts that we couldn't report on data because the social media teams using one thing content teams using another thing the paid advertising teams using something else you got that the pr agency using some crazy codes we don't even know what's going on so when we'd have to run a multi-touch attribution model you'd have 64 campaigns you never even knew you're like why are they using keyword in social media like they don't have but it was people didn't have any data governance. So that clean data coming in is, is is super, super critical to success. Yeah.
0: Do you find that that has to be something that everyone is on board with and everyone has to have input on or is that much better as a top down, like, hey, we're following this structure? Um,
1: yeah. I hate to say top down, because I'm so like, even in our company, I'm like, we only have four hierarchies. Like there's only four layers, like let's keep it as flat as we can. But really when it comes down to a lot of the data uh, infrastructure, the people who are super dependent upon it are the analysts at the end of the day so like they yeah. really should be able to force a good amount of that down i do think there is a partnership between like the analysts, marketing sales product and all that stuff but you really do need to have as we call them data lords inside of a company who kind of uh will come in and be the person that helps out um and, and gets that accomplished because uh data does need to be pushed down a little bit um and and we see this every day with utm.io it's the VP of marketing and the data engineering team that's creating the taxonomy, and then our product uh, just allows them to say, "Okay, these groups of users can only use these things. When they do right. X, make it do Y." Um, and those users don't care, anyways. They 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 just want to do their. Right. Job. They don't they don't so, care about the
0: naming. It's more of a mistake or like a yeah. I don't remember what I used last time. Was it FB or
1: Fbook or Facebook or yeah. what was it? Right. Yeah, they don't care. They just they they, they just excuse me they just want to do their job so that's where um i think that the data taxonomy is going to be the most critical part because if you don't have clean data it doesn't matter right it was interesting because um you know as i mentioned in the in the
0: intro this was a problem that or is still a problem that a number of our customers come to us with because they have all, they have different people. They're they're usually smaller companies. So they have a number of consultants come in. They all have different ways of doing it. So they have 30 different UTMs that or UTM terms that should all mean the same thing. And yeah. they're like, well, how do we clean this up? So we build a bucket. And it's like, okay, any of these words count as Facebook. <laughs>
1: yeah. But
0: it just keeps growing and growing and growing because they have no taxonomy. They have no mm-hmm. governance around it. They have no naming structure. And so that's been a huge challenge with us, both with UTMs and tags and even product names, where sometimes people will reverse. It's like community virtual something, and then it's virtual community something. It's,
1: uh, naming is hard. It's, <laughs> oh, we said. it's so hard. Um, and that there's even the amount of time. So we had talked very briefly in regards to like sending data to a data lake and stuff like that. And We talked about the automation being a huge part of making that even worse. Um, we leverage pro- we leverage customer customer data platforms all the time. So products like Segment, MetaRouter, MParticle, um, they basically become a data pipeline for all of your data. And the the hard part about leveraging a tool like that, even when you're thinking about multi-touch attribution, is that you've now made it so that you're not talking to a tool one-on-one. You're now making it so that you talk to one specific tool that now translates that into 80 different languages to work with 80 different tools. And each one of those tools have a different purpose. So it's very similar to like speaking English and then going to Japan and expecting everybody in Japan to understand what you're saying. And then talking through a translator who is native to Japan, right? That translator is not going to be, not all the words match. not everything is going to completely line up and if you don't have that good translation layer or you don't know how to tell the translator what you're trying to say that translator is going to make something wrong because it's then going to hit the end destination incorrectly or they may not have a word for that they may not have a way to do that so whenever we have to work with um, a customer data platform which is nearly all the time we have to send data into that customer data platform let's say segment and that same bit of data has to be used by salesforce marketo google analytics Uh, Amplitude, Facebook, a myriad of different tools. So the way that we structure that taxonomy, the event, the property name, the property value, the identify call, the traits that come along with that, it really matters Um, Mm. and it has a a lot of matter to it. And a lot of companies are just like, it doesn't matter. And then they get there and they're like, well, I can't figure out why I'm not creating magic And it's like, well, it's because you don't know how to make magic, so you can't create magic if you don't know how to make it. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, getting that data taxonomy is gonna be very, very critical for multi-touch attribution, or or any reporting you have in general.
0: Yeah, and being able to, exactly, exactly, to push that data and to have, to cover all your bases, like you're saying, right off the bat is really difficult because each of those systems expects it in a different way. They report on it different ways, and you're trying to get different information out which has different properties on it, but you want to be able to cover all your bases. And it's yeah. just, you have to decide what you're going to keep, what you're going, what you're going to focus on to solve which problems.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's actually something uh, in my book, uh, Build Cool Shit, if you were to check out my book, uh, if you go to my website, it's on it's on all the pages of the site we talk a lot about like what are the true outcomes that you wanna create, right? Like Mm -hmm. what are the things you wanna ultimately do with all of your data? And we talk about analytics, we talk about how you're gonna do automation, how you're gonna do lead scoring and stuff like that. But the backbone of it is all like how you connect all these tools together to create that. And earlier you were talking about like, how do you get like uh, the ad networks to talk uh, basically with black boxes. Mm -hmm. They're definitely black boxes, but there's ways to get data out of them. There's ways to get that data merged in with what you have in your CRM. Uh, and that really comes down to how you build your architecture Uh, and in my book build cool Shit, we talk a lot about um, how you ultimately need to think about building that data pipeline to keep your business successful and then be able to measure on those business metrics yeah definitely
0: so when someone comes to to work with you or with your company and they're like hey we have this attribution problem we don't know where anything's coming from or we're completely wrong Where do you start with them? What's kind of that first step of looking at what they're doing and saying, okay, this is the road we need to go on to improve what you're doing?
1: Yeah, I mean naturally the first place that we want to investigate is like where are the conversions happening? What are the touch points happening? And then what are the channels that we're getting that data from? And then are we going to be able to correctly get the data from all of these different tools to be able to build the model, right? We don't even worry about what is going to be the attribution model, the look back windows or any of that stuff until we do an assessment of can we effectively track conversions in a digital and automated way? Can we actually see all the different touch points? And then where are we spending money? Um, because there's, you can give a dollar amount to anything and you can uh, you can figure out how to give like attachment to different user IDs pretty easily. And mm-hmm. once we have an assessment of all that, we need to figure out how do we relate that all back to an individual identity. Um, are we locating that? Are we attaching that to a, a person like a user ID? Are we attaching that to a company, which would be like an account ID? And then we have to figure out how do we make sure that all of those touch points can map back to whatever that that final record is. because what you have to remember is that every one of these touch points is its own independent piece of data. And they're just associated by a user ID or an account ID. So we have to be able to see how we correlate all of those things back together. That's the first step is trying to understand how do we correlate spend to revenue, to touch points, all back to that user ID. And building out not um,
0: that user ID, but also what's the goal? Because if you look at something like a B2C yeah. where you're looking to sell, okay, I'm looking to sell to a person. That's very different mm-hmm. than I'm looking to sell to an account where that person may or may not be connected to that account directly. So you're seeing someone come in yeah. from an ad or through some um, some sort of organic source, um, but you're not able to then connect it to the company because they came in through a Gmail address and then the company yeah. came in through the corporate address. And how do you yeah. pull all this stuff together? Like it just it becomes this big muddle depending yeah. on how you want to track it. And I think that's exactly what you're saying, which is it's so important to understand what the end goal is and if it can be tracked through that that whole process.
1: Yeah, I think the the interesting thing, like of course you attach it to the goal. I mean, for me, I think there's only one goal, right? When I think about multi-touch attribution, it's to to optimize the the advertising spend in most Mm -hmm. cases. Um, Some people want to do like a content attribution model, which to me is completely different, like multi-touch content models are are a totally different bag because that's more focused on the content or the customer journey and what content is applicable at what stages. And I think that's definitely a a big part of that. Um, But the goal is is almost always the same, is how uh, how do we efficiently convert this user uh, and how do we maximize that efficiency? So it's, it's relatively a similar goal. I think there's just different inputs and different outputs um, depending upon the vertical and everything like that. And that's where it gets, uh, for us, where it's like the problem is always very similar is because it doesn't matter. You could be, there's so many different verticals, right, out there and they all have their own unique snowflake. But the thing that's always gonna be consistent is I have a record that I need to have the, the customer and then I have spend, I have touch points and I have conversions and I need to be able to change those things uh, or see all those things. Um, So the goal at the end of the day, uh, doesn't matter. I have to first figure out whether I can do those four things because if I can't, if I don't have a user record that I associate with, if I don't have revenue that I can attribute to it, if I don't have uh, the touch points and if I don't have the spend data that I can access, then I I can't really build a model inside a multi-touch.
0: Right, right
1: i guess there's, i guess those are prerequisites to even building uh, <laughs> to even getting started yeah.
0: yeah and we have had people come to us and they're like hey i need to know what my how my ads are performing it's like okay what are they converting as i don't know it's like where where is where is the um where's the sale coming in? it's like oh we call them and they write us a yeah. check and it's oh like my God. wow you <laughs> this yeah. is going to be very difficult man like
1: and, you know, the crazy thing is, is uh, we, we track uh, multi-touch attribution just like that, right? So uh, mm-hmm. they write you a check. We're able to get a QuickBooks feed. Uh, we're able to get the, the client ID from QuickBooks. We're able to map that client ID to a table. So um, we've, we've been able to, like uh, one of our, our clients, unfortunately, which got decimated due to COVID, um, we were able to map their, um, their direct mail. They're sending a million pieces of direct mail a week oh, wow. um, to small businesses. Um, we were able to map that uh, direct mail into their multi-touch attribution model, combined with Google, combined with Facebook, combined mm-hmm. with LinkedIn, um, get all that stuff put into a warehouse and then still map it. It was through fuzzy logic mapping, uh, Duns and Bradstreet numbers that were fuzzy matched back to the company name, which would fuzzy match back to the Salesforce ID and all of this this crazy glue. Um, but it, it worked. Um, and those customers got, they converted in Salesforce, and there was a check that got delivered through another service. And we we only cared if the check got delivered, right? So um,
0: there's a That's way to amazing. do
1: it. Uh, there's a way to do it. It all just depends on how much money you want to pay me to do it and how big the problem is. Um, right. So
0: Lumpy Mail has always been something that I've been incredibly interested in as far as tracking because, you know, I, yeah. I kind of started advertising and doing all this work through the digital side. Uh, yeah. I'd worked at a at a TV, radio um, advertising agency way back in the day before like Google ads even existed. And now that we have all this tracking available, it's it's, it's almost difficult for me to even imagine what it was like back then. So doing this lumpy mail and tracking that into how it convert how it um, interacts with the multi touch with uh, ad spend and through Salesforce and everything that's super fascinating to me. So you you said you were doing it just on the company names and a record of who you had sent it to. So there was no extra tracking in the in the mail or anything like that.
1: Yeah, so there was promo codes that were added to the, uh, the flyers that were going out and stuff like that, but they weren't unique individual promo codes, just because at that point, you're dealing with too many promo codes, Millions, and starts, yeah. users don't even use it, right? So you want the user to be able to hit a vanity URL, go directly back to the website, and then be identified. Uh, that vanity URL had a UTM, so when they hit the website, we knew they came from direct mail, but we didn't exactly care that they were from this exact thing. Well, what happened is, is that the, uh, whenever you, and this was going to businesses and you can do the same thing with users, um, is whenever we were sending to a business, it was based upon a Duns and Bradstreet number. Everybody has a Dunn's number, um, every business out there at least. That DUNS number, of course, was also where we got that business's address. So we were able to send that mail to them. There was a DUNS number. There was a company name to it. If that company came back to the site, what we were able to do is, of course, track that person as they came into the system. We then tried to map back to that DUNS number, of course, later. So that way we could then track from the mailhouse. okay, this DUNS number has received six pieces of mail over these dates. That information would be sent into the CDP. That CDP would send it into our warehouse, but also send it in tools like Amplitude. Um, we were then able to then take all that data, match it into Salesforce, Marketo, all those things, still be able to keep it all relational. So if that opportunity eventually closed and the check was sent, um, we would get another API call, send that into the system, and then we would have all of that tracking data, not to mention also their ad spend, right. Facebook, all that stuff once get the website, the website mm-hmm. there's a user id now at that point that user id gets associated the the website was still a touch point right no matter what mm-hmm. so that made it a lot easier um but there were still major complexities because we had to pull all the ad spend data out of adwords bing and all that stuff so uh, we used funnel.io uh funnel helped us pull all that data down put it into a warehouse and we could now run our own numbers on top of that um and it was, it was able to be done. Right. So um, don't get me wrong. It took six months. <laughs> right. And probably two months of just two and a half months of strict planning. And that was uh, one of the companies that paid me to do an attribution study. We looked at all of the vendors to figure out like, who should they choose? And mm-hmm. we came back to them and we said, you should choose C3 um, because they have professional services or you should build it yourself because you're crazy. And then they said, we'll pay you. Uh, we're crazy let's build it ourselves and then we did and their data wow. lord was awesome to work with um that's, <laughs> that's where the term data lord came from was uh, she was so much fun <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome
0: changing track a little bit um i want to talk a little bit about your book so you know you you had you picked yeah. it up a second ago you mentioned how, how recent is this this is within the last couple months or
1: uh, it's, it's been a year so my book's it's been, been out for a year oh, it's been a year already um, yeah, so uh, the book came out. So we, we put it out at the beginning, of uh, right at the end of 2019. So uh, we just did a, a reprint of it with uh, some small changes to it. Um, but yeah, it was a ton of fun to write. Um, it's got beautiful colored pictures in it. So we made it ex- specifically for like the CEO and CMO in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so a practitioner marketer can read it, really be able to pick up the kind of tools of the trade. Um, but a senior level executive also isn't going to be having to raise 600 pages of fluff uh, to get there. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, most C-suite and VPs, they like color books. They like coloring books as well. They don't like to read long novels a lot of time as we've come to find out. Interesting. interesting. That It's been one of the challenges with me
0: uh, and business books is that you get to that usually about a third, maybe a halfway through it. And then you notice that it starts repeating itself and repeating itself yeah. and repeating itself. And actually I talked to an author friend of mine and they said, oh, yeah, what happens is you have enough content for 60, 70 pages. And the publisher's like, no, no, it has to be at least 160 to publish. So yeah. now you got you got to re- retread everything you've said over and over and over again. And I always just found that such a waste. I would much rather read a 60 or 100-page book that's just right in there, right exactly the information I need to know Yeah, and get value out of it. Like, I mean, I don't consider myself a, a C-level, but I mean, As far as like what I'm doing, it's similar, right? Like I'm running a business. I I want to get the information and get out. (laughs) Like I want to start implementing. Uh,
1: No, I totally agree. And I think um, one of my favorite books out there is a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. Um, Great book, right? But I mean, I I listen to audible books a lot and uh, I run a lot and listen to my books. So I run for about an hour uh, a day, five days a week. So like I get a pretty good amount of listening time in. The book is 17 hours long, but by the time you get to like the 10th hour, you're like, I feel like I've heard this over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's an amazing book. So I'm happy I finished it. But there's definitely some books uh, that and also Principles by Ray Daly. It's like, you could have done this in half the space. Um, But hey, you know, that's that's them. Uh, I tried to make my book even shorter. My next book, which uh, I start writing in the next couple of months here, is going to probably be double the size, just because we're going to go a step deeper to try to make sure that companies understand some of the 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 practices of like google tag manager a little bit more so what's what's kind of the goal of the of the next book yeah so my last book build cool shit is the blueprint for how do you build a marketing stack so it's pretty Mm -hmm. high level how do you integrate the tools from a high level how do you what are some of the outcomes you can create with a stack right so like lead scoring personalization things like that and really good analytics One of the things that we noticed when we launched the book was of course, like we we got a lot of people really thinking about the modern analytics and modern uh, data stack, which is super, super helpful. But the part that's kind of missing from the book is really talking a lot about the integration of it um, and how easy it is to integrate these things. And I think people get a little intimidated by technology, um, but when I created my online course, um, so I have an online course, if you went to uh, CXL Institute, um, they have my online course on how to build a stack. and one of the things that we discovered was that people don't know how to do any of the integration and you don't actually have to know how to do the integration. You just need to know how the integrations work right. because there's really only three types of integration. You either have a platform side integration, which is like, Hey, Marketo connects to Salesforce and there's a, ma- a mapping table between the two. Um, so The platform side is really, really easy. Um, another platform example would be like Zapier. That's a platform mm-hmm. side, also known as citizen coding uh, and things like that. You then have a server side implementation, right? That's when developers get together and have servers talk to servers. And then you have a client side implementation, which is most times just done with Tag Manager. Yep. We really underst- we learned that people don't understand taxonomy. They don't understand that data component. And I really wanna humanize that and make it so that like any marketer can figure that out. And I think in my last book, we didn't talk enough about that. And then we'll connect that that data taxonomy to personalization and then how your personalization works through data taxonomy. Um, so the next book will be focused more on that stuff. It'll be a little nerdier, but hopefully we'll make it so that uh, regular folks as well can understand some of that nerdy stuff. That's going to be gold though, because that's honestly... One of the challenges, one of the many
0: challenges we run into is that people don't know how to refer to what they're saying. And so everyone's using the same words to mean different things and doesn't understand how the integrations connect and everything. It's just that low level understanding of how it all fits together and the words they can use to describe it makes things so much easier when we're having those discussions. And you know, I'll get I'll get on a call for a demo or something and they'll be like, Yeah, I'm I'm a I'm a Martech guy. I'm like, Awesome. Now I can now I can use the real words to describe exactly what's going on instead of having to fluff everything and to make sure that like it's it's understandable at a higher level for someone who doesn't know what what's going on under under the um, covers or under the the surface.
1: Yeah. No. And it's hard. I mean, um, I'm very lucky that I've been doing this for a very long time. I worked at companies like Kissmetrics. I mean, I was head of growth at CodeSchool.com, so I was surrounded by developers all day long. Um, So I I was lucky to be able to pick it up. Uh, I wish somebody would have made it easier for me because I had to learn trial by fire. Um, But um, I'm hoping that I'll be able to explain just like I explained in my last book. uh, I hope I'll be able to break it down so people can really easily understand. Awesome. Well, we'll link to the book
0: and your course in the show notes, uh, as well as damagaw.io and Uh, utm.io. Dan, thanks so much for joining us. This has been super fun. Awesome. It's been great to be here, Keith. I appreciate it. Definitely. And besides your website and your book, where should people find you online?
1: Yeah, the easiest one is, of course, Magal.io. So MCGAW.io. I'm on LinkedIn for the most part. I don't really play a lot on Twitter. So if you check out on LinkedIn, just Dan McGaw, you'll be able to find me there as well. And you're a lucky man for staying out of Twitter. I need,
0: <laughs> I need to learn that lesson. <laughs> All right, Dan. Thank you so much for
1: joining us. Yeah, thank you.